cooking is pretty easy if, if I'm honest running kitchens is difficult but cooking's easy mm-hmm. but when you go in and chat to these guys and they're out there in the bloody rain or it hasn't rained for weeks or months insect there's all this other stuff like, holy shit like it's it's bloody hard that was Darren Robinson and you're listening to The Regenerative Journey we acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and internationally and their continuing connection to culture, community, land, sea and sky. And we pay our respects to elders past, present and future. G'day, I'm your host Charlie Arnott and in this podcast series I'll be uncovering the world of regenerative agriculture, its people, practices and principles and empowering you to apply their learnings and experience to your business and life. I'm an 8th generational Australian farmer who transitioned my family farm from industrial methods to holistic regenerative practices. Join me as I dive deep into the regenerative journeys of other farmers, chefs, health practitioners and anyone else who's up for yarn and find out why and how they transition to a more regenerative way of life. Welcome to The Regenerative Journey with Charlie Arnott. G'day. This week's episode, episode 14, is with Darren Robertson. He's one of the three blue ducks, one of the boys there, um, um, doing a wonderful job. I caught up with Darren at uh, at the farm at Byron Bay on the veranda of the farmhouse there. We talked about all sorts of wonderful things, a very relaxed, organic, as it were, conversation with uh, with Daz. Um, we talked about his him growing up in the UK, his sort of exploring the food scene there, um, moving to Australia and going gangbusters uh, um, here in Australia um, in some wonderful restaurants and, and certainly honing his skills. We talk about why he is at the farm at Byron Bay, what the, the, the three blue ducks are doing there and how they integrate their business with the other businesses there. We talked about COVID, we talked about food, we talked about farming, we talked about a whole lot of really interesting stuff and as I said, it was a really, it was a wonderful, relaxed chit-chat there um, a couple of months ago now, sort of beginning of the COVID show and... Um, Lots of uh, lots of things um, rolled out from that point, of course. Uh, but Darren's got a pretty good handle on all that, so really enjoyed that interview. Um, this interview, I should say, um, and I hope you do too with Darren Robertson. Darren Robertson, here we are. Um, we're just having a great. I wish I'd pressed that go button a bit earlier. It's going to be all downhill now, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> We've missed the best bit. That was that was gold. again next week. It is no well, you know who knows? You might be our resident chef in, in each series. Um, enough of that. So, um, Daz, oh, screw. Tell us about um, where we are. As you can hear, we are on the farm in sunny, well, a little bit rainy actually, Byron Bay, and this is where I spend most of my days, uh, overseeing the beautiful fields, flow hives, a couple of birds knocking around. And uh, <laughs> they're not edible. They're not edible. No. Well, all birds are edible, but you're not not allowed to eat them. Well, I don't think you're allowed to eat those corellas. I did hear no. a story once many years ago that was an old bush, bush uh, like swaggy's yarn. And if you ever caught a glar, you put it in a pot with boiling water, threw a boot in there, cooked it up, <laughs> pulled the glar out, threw it away, and ate the boot. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say corellas are probably the same. Yeah. And and um, Daz, why the farm? Why are we here? Talk, talk us through that a little bit. Well, um, long story short, um, we were we started the Ducks, Three Blue Ducks is a restaurant that was started by um, Sam Reed, Chris Sorrell and Mark LeBroy. 
almost 10 years ago now. And um, Mark was a friend of mine. I worked with Mark in a, in a kitchen called Tetsuya's, which is the reason I came to Australia. And uh, I, I was doing some pop-up dinners, and I, I did a pop-up at the Three Blue Ducks. It was this new cafe, and really good. They just won the best best breakfast in Sydney. It's, you know, real. Just recently. They, no, they won it when they first opened. Oh, and it was, it was, you know, it was, it was cool. It was, it was at a time where cafe culture was no longer... Um, frowned upon and to be honest so in my in my world they were like hotel chefs restaurant chefs and at the bottom of the pile were like cafe chefs and it isn't like it is now it's almost you know it's just it's anything goes now but apart from really bill granger no one was doing any decent breakfasts yeah and um and so we were a part of this i suppose sort of became like yet yeah, a scene or a movement or whatever uh, where we would put in as much effort for breakfast as you do at lunch it was like well why do you have to wait for dinner to, for something to be really interesting and exciting <laughs> do you know what I mean and, and, and so that was it and so um, so I joined the Ducks with, with Jeffo and um, we were there kind of not too dissimilar to now we were there all you know all the time it was you know it was the five of us in it was only three or four of us in the kitchen and it was just a really really interesting time Tom and Emma just bought this property in, in Byron, 86 acre sort of working farm with a plan to have a working restaurant and perhaps, you know, a bakery and, and sort of multiple businesses on this land that would work with each other. And um, he, he came down to Bronte and we were all there as normal and, um, and invited us up and just said, look, I've got this, this plot of land, it's outside Byron, it's near the ocean, could be all right. And so we, yeah, we came up and had a look and, um, you know, within a, Christ, I think within six months we'd, we'd all moved up here to open this this restaurant and that, man, that was it and here we are today many grey cares later <laughs> five years later yeah so it's, five, it's been here five just, years just now. over like a, just a month or two over five years Easter. yeah so I was gonna we all brought up our partners and and my partner's Mag Magdalena Rose so and she she was you know on the TV meteorologist journalist and all of them all of our partners had pretty much put their careers on hold to come up mm. and, and give us you know, idiots a, a crack at, at sort of trying to make this happen because it was such a huge to go from Bronte, which is really there, there's a kitchen garden, but it's the size of a postage stamp, and mm. uh, to, to go from there up here was was huge for us. It was a, it was a large undertaking, but we did. We always thought about um, about having a farm. We, we did. We with with Bronte, Mark's brother um, Grant, studying permaculture, and he was one of the chefs as well. So he would. Um, he was really kind of exposing us to another world with what you could do with small spaces. So he kind of transformed that back kind of wasteland, essentially. Um, we put some chickens in there, free chooks, beehive, um, and then we just, just put planter, bon planter boxes, vertical growers, all sorts of stuff. Uh, and, but spent a fortune on this thing and, and, and made so many mistakes, but really started to get interested. And that was kind of the turning point, I suppose, um, interested in growing food and uh, where food comes from and, and all that sort of conversation. So up to that point, had you been somewhere that was growing its own food? Like, I, I, d I did actually. I was in, so I was in the UK. I was working at a Michelin star kind of country house manor called, called Gravetime Manor in, in Sussex. And we, that, was, that was amazing. And it was, it was almost something like I just took for granted there was a chef. There were five full-time gardeners, you know, amazing produce. Uh, wasn't that involved if I'm honest you'd, they'd come in you'd, you'd get a list of, of stuff that was coming up and it was brilliant and very similar to this place actually um, just a bit more oldie worldy and established you know it was 
Christ, many, many years old. Um, but then I came to Australia and you work in the cities mm. and just didn't, yeah, had, didn't have that much connection uh, you know, working with tits with the ingredients. So, um, so, but then it wasn't until I left there and, and became involved. I, I started doing these pop-ups around Sydney and, and I, I actually took on a couple of stalls at farmer's markets. So I had a stall at Bronte, uh, sorry, Bondi and, and Piermont, which was, the, which, was, which was back then the first Saturday of every month. It doesn't, it's not there anymore. And so I had this brief and I, so I'd basically go and visit these markets or farms on, on my days off, meet the farmer, grab some produce, take it back to my kitchenette in my flat at home, turn it into something, probably highly illegal, and then go and sell it to the public on a Saturday. And that's, that's at your store. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of how I made <laughs> a living for a bit. I've left it's a very kind of quite a prestigious, highly paid job. Mm. So I still had a mortgage, but I was like, I just don't want to work. I've no idea what I'm going to do. I'm just going to do pop-ups, run a little store, learn about marketing. You know, uh, social media was just, it, it was the, Twitter was kind of the thing at the time. Instagram wasn't even in, invented. So what, what, this is 20 what? So what's this? It's probably, <laughs> Christ. 2020 this year is going to be. Yeah, it was about 12 years ago, I think. Yeah. Wow. Um and yeah, so that's and that's kind of so I I kind of got experts <laughs> are going crazy. We need Mitch with his gun, <laughs> not his gun. Sorry, this is not actually a gun. It's a sound boomer. Yeah, um, and so that's I, I suppose that was that was um, reignited my interest in um, I suppose regenerative agriculture. Or I didn't, mm. we didn't, I didn't even know that term existed mm. back then. But um, certainly going to visit. I remember I'd met this couple called Kath and Happy and they had this organic farm. I think it was, it was certainly organic um, practices and they would let, they'd let everything just go to sea. Like there was not a bare patch of soil and the whole thing was amazing. And you'd go out there and there's just also, they'd, they'd let, you know, the fennel kind of uh, go to seed and you'd collect the pollen or you'd collect seeds and you'd do all these different, you'd see um, plants and vegetables at different stages. And I really liked that. I thought it was so interesting as a chef that then to just grow stuff, harvest it, mm. You know, and just you get this little the bowl, but the rest goes where, wherever. The you traditional know, who knows? plant, yeah, and plant and, yeah, and, yeah. I, and that and that really that really sort of made me think a lot. I was like, oh, this is really cool. And then when, and when we started growing stuff, you can, and even now it's 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 awesome where you can see food growing at different stages, mm. and and then tasting it and going, okay, well, Christ, we can use bloody hell. So there's sweet potato leaves. Let's start, they're delicious. Let's start using those or the you know. Spent lettuce. You had a famous spent lettuce salad, didn't you? Well, no, it was like a yeah. We so well for for, for us here, yeah. It's, it's like coming up with those certainly because we're we kind of mass now. We're doing you know cooking for a lot of people. So coming up with ways to try and use the the whole ingredient has mm. been um, for me. That's been the whole holy grail for 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 many of these years. For me, it's just like it's it, cooking is pretty easy if if I'm honest. Running kitchens is difficult, but cooking's easy. Mm. But when you go into chats with these guys and they're out there in the bloody rain or it hasn't rained for weeks or months, insect, there's all this other stuff. Like, holy shit, like it's, it's bloody hard. Mm. So it was always when we came up and we met, we've you know, gone through different stages of the farm and, um, and various sort of people have come and, uh, and gone, but we've always had really can make a communication with the groups of farmers out there. And I've really, I've always been fascinated with their different techniques. You can see now, you mm -hmm. know, like Evan's, and, and Venetia's is completely different to say Josh and the Lynette's. Yeah. At least I really, I think that's really fascinating, but it's really hard work. So the brief for us was always that let's just try and use whatever they throw at us and, and think of different ways for using these 
typically byproducts or things that go to waste that's, that, that are really valuable. Um, so yeah, so with the spent lettuce, where they would just, we just get hit <laughs> hit with loads of greens, <laughs> and um, and so it was like, okay, well they they start you know lettuce wilts, so okay, so and if you and so we char it, we char it up, pickle it, do all sorts of stuff, um, and sometimes it's. But more often than not, it's really cool. Like it's really, oh, oh, this is, and that, and that's it. When you create something, it's just, oh, that's that's brilliant. That's why we do the charred herb salsa because it's like it's it's herbs and herb stalks, but sometimes a little bit fibrous. It's like, well, let's char them up over coals, give them that sort of smoky note, and then we'll run that through like a chimichurri or a salsa verde, and it sort of gives it an excuse. It's like, oh, and it just makes sense, and that just becomes like a staple. And then, like we save so many like herb stalks from just ending up in in the bin. Back in the compost, which is great up here, but you know you haven't always got um, access to that. So uh, and we're talking about food yeah. meters, aren't we? Up, up here, mm. oh, it's crazy. It, yeah, this is this is nuts. Talk it up, like well, I mean, yeah. If if anyone that hasn't been um, for for a guest or anyone that's interested in food. We are incredibly lucky up here for, for what we have. So literally, you can come out, well, open a kitchen, you can oversee the field. Mm. You can hear it. We've got bloody <laughs> chickens on the tables and all sorts of <laughs> like It's quite chaotic, which, which, I, which, I, which I love. When you walk, it's like a stone's throw away is where the, the, the produce is growing. So it, it is, it's mental. So mm. when I describe to people, and often like friends and stuff overseas like yeah come on i was like no, honestly mm. like this is this is it and we're you know five five minute drive from in, you know incredible beaches um so yeah look, we are very very lucky here like i don't i don't take this for granted at all and you can you know you always sort of like the grass is always greener and you sort of moan about the monotony of your day job and the, the problems that you have to face with but when you, when you step back and look at where where we are on a daily basis like holy shit yeah I tell you <clears throat> something I didn't take for granted or haven't, Daz, is your salads because I might have told you this at some point. We were in Italy for a couple of months last year. Angelica and my family, and we. Oh, you have told me this, but I, I, have, really, I would love to hear it again. <laughs> <laughs> if you just play it on a loop. <laughs> so we spent two months in Italy. It'd be, you know, it'd be Angelica's Italian, so we'd always wanted to go. And we went to some amazing places, some. Um, we had we had eight weeks and we basically stayed in about 10, 10 or eleven different places for three, four, five, six days at a time. Amazing food on farm, biodynamic, organic farms, not dissimilar to this. But the difference, Daz, was that this that we would sit down there many, many times at night, day, breakfast, whatever, and wish we'd have a, we'd had we'd had a, um, a, a, th- a three to, three blue duck salad in front of us really? because. Totally, because the um, I love Italians. I love their pasta. I love so many things about their culture, but they I got to say they just don't quite do the salad. They can do a they yeah. can do a um, burrata and tomato and basil. Like no one's busy. Simple. Yeah, yeah. That is it. But you want something a little more, bit, a little more finesse. You know, a little more um, exciting. Yeah. Just, you know, it's cost and parmesan. That's it. You know? Yeah, it's it, it, yeah. That's it's simple and it's elegant. And I think mm. we sometimes we're we're you know it's big, it's bold, it's messy and, mm. and sort of delicious. And that's we've always tried to to do that. And and, and with the with the salads, we had this sort of chat once that the salads get a bit of a bad rap. It's like well, salads don't have to be boring. They can be really really exciting. Totally. And there's awesome chefs certainly around you know Australia. People like Matt Wilkinson and stuff that are just showcasing 
like really good produce, like really tasty veg. And I, I've said this a couple of times, but so here, I remember with one of the first times I went out and I tasted one of, um, I think it was maybe Joshi, and he, he grew some rocket. And it kind of sounds a bit boring, but he's like, just taste that. And I was like, oh, that, that, honestly, that's the, that's the most delicious rocket mm. I've ever tasted. And, it, and it's true. It's like, tasty. Yeah, it was, it was everything it should be. And um, I mean, when you compare that to the stuff that, you know, mm. typically you may be used to that sort of maybe grown another way, <laughs> you know, it's it, it, so, so I think we're, we're like, we're lucky with that respect, but also, um, yeah, um, that's, thank you for that. Thank you for that compliment. No, I tell you what, I, I'm not just pumping up your tyres. It's actually feeding. We was, I can't tell you how many times we sat there and went, oh, I wish we could duck salad right now. Because whatever else was beside it, you know, the yeah. the veal, whatever it was, or the, you know, God knows what is the rabbit or whatever we're eating, or the, yeah. you know, the olives, just wanted one of your salads. But I, but, I, but I think, to be honest, I think it's, um, I think it's an Australian thing now. I think the food, you know, like leafy greens and salads and, and citrus and chilli and freshness um, is a lot more um, prevalent he, here in Australia than, like, you know, I never had a bloody salad in the UK. You'd have an iceberg, iceberg salad. I think that's probably the thing you use, the balsamic, and it, and dra- balsamic vinaigrette, the, or maybe a bit of cucumber, you know, or the wolves off, perhaps. But I think, you know, in here, do you, you know what I mean? There, there is that, and, and I think because of our climate as well, yeah. you know. Like a, a, I'll have a salad for lunch, sort of two or three times a week. Just like a delicious, really like robust salad. I, yeah, I love that stuff. But I think I think it's, it is quite Australian. Um, yeah. So, um, we're in the home of salads, clearly. Now, tell me, Daz, you grew up in in the UK. Was there um, was there a point in your education, in your childhood, in your um, development, your youth, where you were going one way and you and you went? Hang on, I'm not, I'm, this is this is where I'm going to head. This is this yeah. is what I want to do. There were many. So I was going to. Um, I was studying art and design at school, and I thought I wanted to be. Um, I was always really interested in drawing and um, like an old camera. Um, so I was going to be. I thought I'd be a, like a photographer or a graphic designer or something like that. So I'd go to art school. Your age what? Wasn't that? Was, uh, well, that was from fourteen. But I, st- mm. I stayed on at um, at school and did. Uh, it was called GN- GNVQ back then, level two and three. And I did really well. I got, I got um, distinctions. But at the time, I was washing up in a local seafood restaurant in, in my hometown, which is Deal. And the head, this is, I've told this a few times, but the, there was two head chefs that were complete, they were really not very nice people. Like it was that cliche, awful chefs, just not violent, but Me. just not very nice. Yes. Yeah, mm. And I was just like, I was a bit, I was taller than one of them. I was just like lanky. He just he just didn't like me, and um, but the other chef was pretty cool, and he, he lent me um, Mark up here white's white heat because of the black and white grainy photos that he's like, oh, check this out, this is really cutting edge, and I remember just taking it home and read it, and I was like, that's it, I'm going to be a chef. Uh, yeah, my dad was a chef in the RAF, the RAF, which I sort of swore that had nothing to do with it. Of, of course, you're influenced by your parents, um, but that was a real turning point. It was literally go to go to art school and sort of follow that path, or um, pursue uh, you know a career cooking. And um, if I'm honest with you, it wasn't even, to, it, it was more the independence, mm. I, I think. I thought if I could, I could see a way out of home and your hometown, which is, those goals are real when you're, you know, 16, 17. This, I just, and I thought, if I can learn to cook, I'll get a job anywhere and mm. I'll, I'm going to be all right. I thought, if I go to art school, I'm like, yeah, I just, I probably didn't, I wasn't um, as confident because um, I had some really, really talented friends that were just, yeah, amazing. They were, 
painting and sketching and I, and I could sort of you know I, I sort of live in the real world like I was I was okay but I was I was no Picasso so <laughs> <laughs> did you meet did you get to meet um uh Mark, Mr White I did actually I met him a couple of times because mm. uh, Mags is Mags um sort of she's in the food world now I, mm. I suppose and she um she hosts and MCs and, and and bits and pieces so she she hosted a gig in Sydney a few years ago with Marco she's like a and a for an hour and um, and I met him backstage. I met him as manager, and then he came up to me. I was really nervous, and I was so I was just made my life because he he he, he, he said, hey, "Hi, chef. Nice to meet you." And he called me chef. Like, oh, he knew. Yeah. He knew. He, he obviously knows who I am. <laughs> <laughs> Someone must have said, like, "Go and meet Dick that idiot off. in the corner there. That's <laughs> that weirdo that's staring at Take you." Take a pin and, and he call him chef for Christ's sake. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and he was lovely. Yeah. So uh, I met and I met I've met him a, met him a couple of times now. Um, so he, he, that, that book was very, very inspirational to, to chefs my age from, from that generation. Like that yeah. really, that really was something new and it was, um, yeah, it, it, it was kind of cool, you know, so really edgy. It was obviously about the food, but it was about the attitude as well. And it was like, we were no longer, you know, chefs were I'd probably, Yes, it was almost sort of like frowned upon. You decide to be a chef, and it's, it isn't, you know, it's not like now the food industry. Like, if you want to be a sommelier or a barista now, it's kind of pretty rock star, you know. And certainly, like producers, you know, distillers, farmers, whatever. Like, I think now it's almost like a badge of honor. It's like, oh shit, that's, this is great. But I think back then, if your son or daughter decided to be a chef, it's like, oh, for Christ's sake, it's hard work, it's long hours, and the pay is pretty bad. It's you not dissimilar to <clears throat> to, um, to farmers. You yeah, know? You, you, you yeah. don't get a, a bright kid, as Joel Saddleton says, and so many others at the um, school um, uh, career guidance counselor. Mm-hmm. You know, go, man, these your marks are great. You should get into farming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, nah, man. Like, totally. If you're a muppet, get into farming. Yeah, yeah. and it was the same with chefs. And so, um, but um, I think that book and the attitude it was like just it was almost like commanding respect through hard work. And I, and I really liked that. And I thought, and I thought, you know, just hear these, it was almost like urban myths about this guy being really, you know, it, it was a very, very hard kitchen, but he was really sort of business savvy. And they'd, by all accounts, they'd send a, a van to France and get all the foie gras and truffles and produce, but to save money, to make the business more financially sustainable. And I was, I was, I really, I really respected that. Um, so yeah, anyway, so I, I, that was, that was a real turning point for me. So, so to become a, to leave the art school, become a, um, a cook, and I stayed at that place for two years, which was, which was actually probably a couple of, it was two of the hardest years of my career. It was, so it, this it was, is the same restaurant you were Yeah, and yeah. it's in my home. Well, it wasn't, it was, you know, the seafood in the, in the UK is, is, is incredible. And, 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 and Deal, which is where I'm from, was a, was a fishing village or fishing town back in the day. So I had access to like some beautiful, you know, like turbot and place and Dover soles. And it, that, that was brilliant. But the food is a bit, you know, it's pretty old school, if, if I'm honest, looking back. Um, but then I worked in some brilliant kitchens around, mainly about, around Kent and Sussex. And I worked for a guy called Mark Raffan, and the owner basically said, look, if you do two years here, I'll get you into anywhere in the world, stay there for three and a half years. And um, I worked with a lot of Australians. So I said, okay, look, if you can get me into Tetsuya's or the French Laundry, which was number one in the world at the time. And he literally made a phone call, and I was, I was in Australia I don't know, a couple of months later, were you just going? Hang on, that just didn't happen. Like, that yeah, was- it was Matt, it was it was huge. Um, but I'd really just I, I wanted to come to Australia. I wanted to do something different with food. A lot of a lot of the chefs you'd work in your sort of outskirts of the cities, and you go to London. It was all 
it's changed now. The, f- the food scene's amazing in the UK, but back then it was very, it was all derived from sort of that French British kind of Gavroche, Waterside, Rue Brothers, you know, Marco. It, there was this whole bloodline that was kind of very, very um, dominant in the, in the UK food scene. And you were kind of doing the same stuff. Um, it changed as I left. David Thompson came onto the scene and just like that sent shockwaves. It's like, holy shit, this is guy doing Thai food. He's putting like shallots on desserts and like blowing people's <laughs> minds. It was the, actually it was the last meal I had. I, um, I went to Nam in London. It, it just opened and I had this meal there. And I was, and I'd never eaten Thai food in my life. Like this, it's not as multi, well, it wasn't as multicultural food wise there mm. at the time. It was like, you know, we had really, really bad Chinese food and Indian mm you know, like pork balls and like, uh, Sweet and sour yeah, 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 that sort of stuff. Uh, it's not, you know, it's not like here. So, um, and it blew, absolutely blew my mind. I was like, Christ, maybe I should have worked here, but, um, I'd got the job for Tets and yeah. And I thought I'd, I'd do two years in Australia cooking something completely different, sort of French, Japanese, all this, this would be good. And then I'll leave and maybe just go to New York was the obvious one. Cause that was, there was a killer food scene there. Mm. And then just absolutely fell in love with Australia. But yeah. I, I, you know, I, I was going out with the, a lot of the other chefs, like the Japanese guys, and just, just to see where they were eating. I tried to stay away from my old culture. Like, I just didn't want to be that mm. clicky expat hanging out with English, talking about the football. I just wasn't Dirty, interested. Dirty pies. Yeah, do you know what I mean? English, yeah. full English breakfast and mm. nothing wrong with full English breakfast. But <laughs> I wanted to go and eat ramen and yum cha and, mm. and try this. I was like, this is amazing. Mm. Look, at, look at this. Mm. And, just, and so I fell in love with the food scene, of, uh, certainly of Sydney. And, and then, then obviously the sort of the great outdoors, you know, going down to Jarvis Bay and going on road trips and surfing and, and all this sort of stuff. And it's, uh, you know, typically being a chef isn't the, probably the most healthiest job, certainly back back then. But that really changed as well. And, you know, surfing in the morning, just little things like that. Did that, you learn to surf here? I did, yeah. I, did, yeah. I didn't surf in the UK. Mm. And, uh, and a friend of mine, Jeremy Glue, he, he was like, look, I, um, he was like an ex-chef. I said, come surfing, mate. I don't know about going out, Paddy, every night, you know, getting drunk. Come get up mm. in the morning. We go at 6 a.m. And that that really changed things for me. And I was just like, oh, you can either go out late night at work, which always is just like a massive rabbit hole, <laughs> or just go home, get your head down, get up early, be fresh. And that, and that really, and even now, like I'll, I'll try and surf before work just to, it was in terms of, you know, just keeping you mentally sharp. Yeah, sharp. It, it, was, it was a game changer. Um, can you, can yeah. one be an ex-chef? It's like saying you're an ex-farmer. Yeah, it's a really good question. Yeah, you're right. Um, you can actually because maybe it's not the same with farmers, but ironically, like I've met so many chefs that it, it, is, it is just a job. And I'm not saying about, about Jeremy. Sorry, Jeremy, if you're listening. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it, is, it is hard slog. And some, some of them, unfortunately, become so just just jaded mm. and just and you know you hear so many times oh my partner is a chef he never cooks or she never cooks at home of course because they've just been on their feet and but there's also a lot of really passionate people out there as well and they'll, they'll, and they'll be working like farmers stuff when they're 90 and they're just they're so engrossed in and just love the love the industry it's their art and that's it and that's that's just it's who they are um and i i, I think that like, i love cooking and i never want to retire i mm. always want to be i want to be like you know um like the brookies, like where they're just mm. like they're still involved, like going out to openings or they're going to a talk, and they're just you know, they're just always nourishing them, nourishing themselves with information and trying to like up their game. And they're, they're probably like 
no, no, it's definitely 60, but you know, <laughs> you do, do you know what I mean? I and think I, I, that's I, a, I was like, in I, their 40s, sure. Yeah, 40s, yeah, yeah. And I was like, <laughs> I want some of that. Like, that's, that's amazing. Yeah, no, there But you're right, it is, it is definitely something you become um, as, as, as well as a trade. But there's still that in my, you know, in my industry. Yeah, there's just there's so many sort of casualties of this industry over mm. the years, and thank, like thankfully now, like most injury, industries, it has it has changed dramatically, even even you know, sort of ten years. And I'd, I'd like to think that's happened everywhere. In, in, in I'm sure it has in many industries, but only really you only really know your own. Um, Can we talk about that for a minute? Because um, I know. Um, and I keep drawing parallels between, um, you know, the the food industry and farming because they're so closely related, but also farmers and chefs or cooks, you know, because there are a lot of similarities. And one is certainly the 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 mental strain and the stress and the, the mental health issues that they that they go through. You know, they yeah. you know, they're, as you say, it's, it's long hours, it's hard, it's unforgiving. Often, um, the margins can be very tight. And you are at the whim of markets of your customers of so many different things, and you know, case in point, COVID. Mm. Except in this case, yes, the farmers just kept on growing food because everyone had to keep eating. What do you think? I mean, I guess, what would you say to? What advice would you give to maybe young chefs or, or not even young chefs, but just chefs who are? I mean, especially I guess in this COVID thing, which I'm just no one <coughs> saw coming. And it was tough anyway. Yeah. What? What? I mean, what got you through, or what can you su- suggest to others? The sort of, you know, not doing so well. Um, yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a massive question. I, but I think um, just just communicate. Pick up the phone. Like, t- t- I know, you know, times do get incredibly difficult, whether it's covert or you know, bushfires or whatever. And you're right. There's definitely many correlations between yeah, like the hospitality, farming. We're all on the same side, really. Mm. Um, but when the shit is the fan, yeah. Um, I just think, I don't know. I don't know. Like I, I'm, re- I'm very, very lucky. I'm part of a collective of hospitality where as soon as this COVID went down, there were WhatsApps created with just people checking in on each other and sharing information. And you know as well as I do, like whenever it's the times get tough, as long as someone else is in the sort of bunker with you and they're struggling you sort of you kind of help each other out i think that's the, that's the, and that's the beauty mm-hmm. of having business partners like yeah you share all the the love and the you, you know sort of the, the wins but you also share all the bad stuff as well i think that's been so important when you kind of like when the chips are down there's always one of you that's like come on like we're, we're going to be fine we're, and it's and it's so useful and i think in this industry definitely you know health mental health issues um uh, uh, there there are a lot more well a lot less taboo now for one i mean we've lost We've, famously, we've lost a lot of really good people, and and you know, in the last two or three years, like legend chefs. Are, and, you, are you talking about in just Australia, or you, is, this, uh, is this a bit of a, a yeah? Well, global? well, globally, it's happening. Yeah. Mental yeah. health is is a global issue, but on our own doorsteps, mm. you know, the people that we would, I, I would sort of chat to, I was quite close to, and just it's like, fucking hell, like you know, just uh, if only you bloody pick up the phone, and that that's all we can do. I just think. Um, Yes, there's th- there's things like eat well, sleep well. If you see, for for me personally, if I don't exercise or eat well or, or have a bit of sleep deprivation, which is often when you've got two kids, you just feel yourself. You feel that lens. It just becomes blur and the clarity. You start making silly decisions and, and, and things get to you. So just go and exercise or wh- whatever it is. And, you, and, I, and I think that's that's been useful just as like 
observing how you react as a human to different scenarios. Because you do push yourself. Like when you're passionate about anything, whether you're a farmer or whatever, you'll do the extra hours and you'll be, you know, your days you just be researching something and you're just, you're just hungry for this, this thing. And so often other, other important facets of you could be sleep for wayside. And I think to check in with yourself is, is really important. And as you get older, you get to know how, you know, your body and, and your mind. And you, you can, if you're getting a bit darky, Stevens, it's like, okay, cool. Let's go for a surf, have a meal, chill out, turn the phone off. Let's, um, but for, for, for chefs or anyone, I'll just say, yeah, uh, there's, there's always someone in that's worse off than you in a similar boat. It's great if you've just, yeah, just can just pick up the phone and, and, sh- and just ask questions share like share your problems it's like people are in really really bad spots right now Mm. like horrendous spots in in all sorts of industries but specifically hospitality which has a huge knock-on effect with the farmers like we can't sell sell stuff yeah nor can a lot of these guys uh so yeah is there an industry sort of um formal or, or otherwise Support network. I mean, you know, WhatsApp and your buddies and things. But is there is there is it that sort of organised, orchestrated that that's that happens? Yeah, there's a lot of so there's a lot. I like there's a lot of charities um, that do offer information and guidance. Are, are you okay? Springs to mind that they mm. they were kind of probably first cab off the wrangle, first onto the scene when we sort of lost a couple of uh, key chefs. So we're sort of doing fundraising and stuff. Um, yeah, mm. I think I think there are there are many, um, but I don't know. I think it's for me. I, I just I get a lot more benefit about with, with with talking to people that I know and can can relate to, and maybe of a similar age or a similar uh, scenario. And and that was the that was the thing I did a, a, so much of <laughs> when it when all this kind of hit the fan with the COVID. It was like if I wasn't here, I was in the garden pacing, just talking to. Uh, typically other chefs in, in mm. similar boats to us and go well and it is it's those really difficult decisions that are, are so stressful sometimes and it's the indecision that can kind of really grind and I think once the decision has been made totally. you're like right cool we're doing it now let's just let's let's do it and I think um, you know, I, re- I read that's a really important with, with farming and stuff it's just that like act quickly and um, just dragging the heels is probably it's just going to cause more heartache in the long run yeah and so that was really important with with us with that scenario as well. It just became like, just you know, making huge decisions that were going to affect a lot of people, a lot of staff, yeah. us, um, very very quickly. And so yeah, so a lot of it was just confiding in other uh, yeah business operators and and then just uh, rolling the dice and hoping <laughs> it's going to be all right. <laughs> hoping <clears throat> hoping that uh, ScoMo is going to yeah. decide to open yeah. the doors again. Yeah. Um, Daz, tell me about uh, just on that. You know, support mechanisms and and communication. Who who are your mentors, and why 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 them in particular, individuals or 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 other organisations or whatever? Um, Did you have any? I didn't really have any. I, I wished I had. I kind of I I, I would I was actually thinking about because I you know like you I listen to a lot of other podcasts and you know try and read a few books and talk to a lot of other people. <laughs> Um, I've never really had like a a, a, a mentor, mm. um, specific, specifically someone that I go to and just and just and I, and I think it's really important. And maybe, maybe I should at this stage just to someone that to check in with and and when you are making these really big, um, you know, these sort of life changing decisions, just someone just to, to get a, an opinion you trust. For me, for me, it's just um, you know we've been lo- really lucky with guidance with regards to this business. We've mm. had like locals have come on board and said, 
you know, just sort of said, look, you guys, it's cool when you've got a cafe, but now you are a bit more responsible. So maybe you should really have a think of this or that. And just stuff that was never really, we were just cooking some stuff and, you know. Um, but no, I haven't really got, I've got some, you know, people that I looked up, look up to, but not really, not necessarily uh, mentors. And, but, uh, you know, a lot of them are friends, like just friends in our industry. Um, you probably got inf- <clears throat> like informal ones in a way. I guess just a mentoring can be such a, a broad. Um, <clears throat> we've both got frogs in our throats, haven't we? <clears throat> Not the COVID, don't worry. I know. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, now tell me, uh, Jazz, um, where was I going next? So it, that's a really bad answer, wasn't it? <laughs> no, 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 it was good because no, I'm not, I, I don't make the assumption that people do have a mentor. I just, I mean, I always bang on about it because mentors for me have, uh, and some have been formal that I've, you know, checked in with every week and it, it's a paid gig, you know, it's actually so like So you've a, actually asked someone, Will you, can, can you mentor me? <clears throat> yeah. 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 I mean, as I said, there's some that were, I mean, I call them a mentor and, and truth be known, they're probably more a consultant who was just helping me keep on track and, you know, formulating ideas and yeah. and keeping momentum. And then there's others that um, I check in with every now and again, again, not formally, but I do with an intention of them helping me check in with myself. Yeah. You know? yeah. And, and they're generally farmers. I mean, there are, there are a few non-farmers um, who are just good business heads or just good people, you know, yeah. and they can just talk sense. You can throw anything at them, and you go there talking fluffy shit for a couple of minutes, and then you, <laughs> and then the, you know the stuff sort of rolls out because it's yeah. that's what you're there for. You yeah. know? And I find it really, um, uh, well, it's you know life changing. Um, you know, not necessarily for me, but life saving stuff. You know, yeah. because. And this is, the, I guess, <clears throat> you know, one thing that I've talked spoken with you about, Daz, some time ago, and. I have the intention of doing is rounding up some chefs and heading to Hanamino and you know, having a retreat mm. you know, just to talk. And I've done it with farmers um, two and a half years ago. Got ten farmers at Hanamino for a weekend, two nights in swags in the shearing shed. Yeah, and we just you know we went there and um, we were talking farming, you know, regenerative farming, farm tour, that sort of stuff. And then you know it was facilitated and or Tommy Herschel, and it was a um, it was. Um, it was fantastic because we left our egos at the door. There was no bravado. It was very – we were just there to, to open up. Yeah. Well, no, we didn't go there to open up. Yeah, yeah. But we knew we would yeah. because it was in that sort of wholesome, safe sort of a group. And it was informal, but, you know, the – you know, we, we do an exercise on the last day. And I tell you what, if you want to you want to see grown, big, burly country men cry, like – Yeah. It was, it was profound because – Again, you know, we left all that crap at the door and it was really important stuff. You know, yeah. people went away changed. So, you know, we'll talk later about that. But I, I, I'm yeah. just really, again, I'm drawing parallels with farming and, 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 and you know, food and, and, and the chefing world. But yeah. No, I'd love to. I, I really would. But I know, and I do think, I think the chef has evolved now. Mm. And I think we're, we are, we're a, a much more, a, a, I think chefs are a, they're a lot more aware of their responsibility mm. and the voice. And I was never one of the, you know, holding these chefs up like bloody gods like this there's, there's so many more facets of hospitality that are as important um but for some reason they fall into the spotlight which is slowly changing thank god but nevertheless i think there is a, an awareness now of that people do will listen and, and the and the the influence you you do have which is a really um exciting thing but also kind of quite daunting um so, but i think yeah more of those i think that you know i, I would love to bring along of some some chefs and have a bit of a weekend and a bit of a yarn. <clears throat> Eat good food. 
I was, yeah. I was wondering how it was going to work. Is that like, why we come in? <laughs> <laughs> so I'll basically you're asking me for, uh, to, to cater your event. <laughs> it's like, what are we here for again? Oh, that's why yeah. we to do something. So can we grab some more of those steaks? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was wondering, like, all you, all you uh, chefs going, oh, no, I'll cook them. No, I don't know that. Yeah. Lord, showing off. Um, yeah. Tell me, um, where was I going next? Oh, I guess, um, you know, just back to your point, Daz, about, I guess, call it influence or call it responsibility, you know, would, is there, I mean, you were, you were um, taken with the notion of, you know, fresh food, you, you've, you know, you, you had, you were exposed a little bit to that, to that in the UK and certainly, well, not in Sydney, you were in, at uh, the Ducks in McPherson. I remember you, when you guys opened McPherson Street there. Yeah. We had a unit down at, um, down the, down near the beach. Yeah. Bronte there. And your little garden at the back, you know, what, what is it, I mean, not that you, you're, I want, I want you to tell chefs what they should think, but I guess is there for chefs who aren't don't really give a shit about where the food's from. Is there something yeah. that sort of can can invoke a little, I don't know, um, not not compassion for the farmer, but just reverence for the food, maybe you know? Yeah, um, I think to be honest, I think they are now. I think chefs, I think the the general public, public people on a whole are we are a lot more. Uh, we know a lot more about food, food media, TV shows, whatever it is. Um, and, and I think the chef, I think we do care a lot more about farming practices and the nutritional value that that has on with our food and also um, and, and the land. I, 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 like it, it did, it used to be fringe and no one really, I didn't really care. It was great. I, trying to be a chef, you make something taste good, look amazing. That's it. That really is it. Um, but the the guys and girls that are coming through the kitchen now they are they're they're interested in our, um, where it, where it's from and and what we're doing with it. <laughs> little, so, so much. Right, do you want to? Oh, good. It's going to do it again, isn't it? Just a few little technical. Uh, <laughs> the gear and looks good, but the operator is that, hopeless. <clears throat> um, you know, leave it. <laughs> forget it. No, forget it. The audio is the important thing, um, and yeah, so so I've just, I've noticed the conversation has, has has drastically changed, and looking at ways that we can, you know, minimise waste and and all that stuff. And I think because of, I like to think I'm ever the optimist that things that things that we're watching sort of change. Like there's so many more, maybe a demo on here, but like so, so many more mm-hmm. like um, documentaries of substance that it's not just posh people that watch documentaries now. Like you, you, most people have got Netflix and they're they're sort of tuning into that stuff, and I, and I and I think that's great. And it has it's become less fringe now, and and certainly for like the next gen, like the kids and stuff, are starting to have those conversations. And I think they'll push that thought further. And if, and if they do become chefs, then that that will be on the agenda. And I'm hoping that will probably you know that will spill over into perhaps the the curriculum with with, with cooking. That that is such an important part of what we do now. Um, so I just, I think it's happening anyway. Anyway, I think there's the chefs that we sort of knock around with we're having those conversations anyway and it's all it's a lot of it a lot of them are interested in in produce now you know sort of less about technique where back in the day it was like there was this sort of molecular gastronomy and that was the forefront it was about turning something to something and that was really exciting then Mm. but i think now i think it's more sort of you know alice waters dan barber there's there's sort of these cooks that take the inspiration from the farmer's markets I, i think that's it's a really it's quite an exciting time now and i think some of the best food um it, it, it is that kind that's kind of style it's a food that i'm interested in anyway 
as a <clears throat> as a farmer, you know, we're producing food and we get it to a certain point in the world of you know, Rudolf Steiner and biodynamics and so on, you know, he, he refers to that as external cultivation for obvious reasons because it's happening outside of the kitchen, you know, out in the field. And then, you know, we get it to a point and we do our best with that and we make it nutritionally dense and fresh and, you know, beautiful, beautiful food. And that's um, that's great, but, you know, there's a step in between getting it into someone's mouth unless it's, yeah. you know, a raw carrot. You know, yeah. so I guess <clears throat> my point is that, you know the the reverence that uh, that a that a chef has for food is really important for us as farmers because you know you can either rawly screw it up yeah or turn it up to eleven yeah you yeah. know and actually in the reverence you have for the food and then move it you know I'm a farmer you're a feeder you're turning it into something that is you know going to land on someone's plate so um, so thank you for doing that thank you for having the <laughs> Having no, because it's because it's you know I guess that maybe that's the difference between a cook and a chef. I don't know. Maybe it's the training. What is the difference between a cook and a chef? Like sometimes get trouble. Chef, sort of chef, I think chefs generally get paid for it. And there's there's a, a there's a lot more that chef has to deal with. Like, you know, the, the, the commercial aspect, training, mentoring, food costs. Mm. Where the, the cook, such a beautiful term. I just cooks. You cook, you just cook. Anyone can be a cook. Yeah. <laughs> I call my wife the cook. I, said, I, 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 with the cook. I, I think it's flattering. I yeah. said, "What do you do?" I'm a, I'm a cook. Like I'm proud to be a cook. Yeah. Like I just, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with yeah, just just being a cook. Brilliant. Like mm. you know, some of some of the tastiest meals are just cooked by home cooks, relatives cooking stuff at home. Like just yeah, it's. Is Mags a cook? Yeah, Mags. Mags, her mum's a really good cook as well. So she, yeah, she's um, she's a really good cook, but she's she just gets in like she's a journalist by trade, so mm. she really gets into. Uh, a dish or an ingredient and I'd, I've got a lot of respect like she's probably not got like the breadth of technique and knowledge of your typical chef that's the, the, the sort of trained but if she if she wants to make a pavlova she'll mm. she'll like read everything she can about egg whites and why it does this and you know very sort of Harold, Harold McGee-esque who wrote like the science of food and cooking and why things react this way or she'll re read old school recipes and it's brilliant so then finally she'll make a bloody pavlova that's like the best thing you've tasted and <laughs> you know and, and she's and she does that uh, uh, quite a lot so it's brilliant it's super annoying but it's, whereas i'm just kind of like winging it <laughs> but um she's showing you up. so it's really cool and she's really pushed me it's because because she gets into things and, and the, you know that certainly in the nu nutritional value and i think we all change when we have kids but certainly being a, a chef or cook mm. you, you that's it's really changed and um using um, you'd even like cooking with fats and animal fats and, and all, again like stuff you didn't really care about and we were all just using bloody grapeseed oil once upon a time you know it's just like we weren't really thinking about it. whereas now it's just like using coconut oil or perhaps ghee or lard and mm. and like you know introducing nutrients and massive amounts of flavour and using again like using up your animal fats and yeah. and, I, and I love that and that's a lot of that's from Mag she's like look at this look at this this is look at this, what this d does because she just gets into those um, sort of a, a lot of the science behind a, a, an ingredient. Yeah. Now I'm going to put you on the spot, Des. <clears throat> we talked about mentoring before. <clears throat> if you were mentoring um, some young buck or lass, mm. you know, who's, I don't know, maybe where you were when, when you were. Back in the 50s. <laughs> in the, back in the day. Um, well, let's say when, when, you're, when you were at an age when you went from the UK and you came to Sydney. Right, you yeah. were, you'd sort of you know um, done your hard yards over there, and you were full of you know bravado coming to Sydney, as it were, you know, and and whatever expectations you had. 
what would you say to that young Daz who who is you know potentially sitting in front of you and asking for some advice? Uh, I wish I could go back and just say, mate, don't spend all your money on going out. Just bloody save some money. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish. I, I think it's a really boring answer, but like. Uh, um, financial advice would have been so useful mm. knowing what I know now um, because as chefs or many many people learning a craft you tend to spend your money on that like I would just spend every penny even in the UK I'm just eating out you know you'd save I remember just going I would save up I'd get a train and I'd go and eat in the square or go and eat at Gordon Ramsay and you just you know, a, that was a lot of money back then that was mm. like quite a few weeks of saving up and you just would. And, you, you know, and a lot of us, certainly I was until I was probably about 30, you, you kind of live in week to week. And if only you were, you know, if, and again, this maybe this should be introduced in a curriculum where you're like, you're going to be cooking, this is what you're going to earn, put away 10%. Yeah. Just don't even think about it. And that's going to compa- um, uh, compound interest and all yeah. that sort of jazz. Yeah. Um, it's going to start working for you. And, um, yeah, I, I just think, not that I'm Warren Buffett now, but I could have really, <laughs> if I'd have just made those decisions a little bit um, earlier, where I had this mad scramble, I just, you know, I just, I got to 30. And, you know, you get to 30 and you have that sort of freak out. You're like, Christ, I thought I was going to have a house, be mm. married, have a couple mm. of kids, maybe a dog. I got to 30, I pretty much, I was just the same as I was when I was 18. <laughs> you know, and I remember going into a bank. I was like, fun, though, I yeah. was like, oh, it was, mate, I have no regrets, it was brilliant. <laughs> but I'm not just talking about drastic change. I'm just sort of little, little changes that you can introduce um, to make your life a little bit, or to, just to open up opportunities. Like it's not about money, but just to have, um, yeah, the opportunity to do other things, to start businesses, and um, yeah. So I, I would have loved to have. Um, sounds really shallow, but I wish I could just tap myself on the shoulder and just say, mate, you just just put a little bit away um, for a rainy day. I think it's great advice. <clears throat> I think that's pretty much you know what you'd say to most young young people but but it's but as you say you know you're working late nights tendency to have a few grogs for your staffies head out you know and so that lifestyle yeah. itself is, is one where um you know you're not gonna have much left in the key and you're not i guess you're not thinking about necessarily saving up or <clears throat> gonna own a restaurant one day you're just doing the hard yards it's almost it's it, it's almost it's virtually the thought of the notion of owning your own business was it was almost impossible to be honest when you're on mm. the line and we're all you're all sort of fantasizing about so what you're going to do after this we you work at somewhere like a Tetsuya or you know you really it's such an investment into your education as a, as a cook it's very very consuming it certainly was then mm. lots of hours and you're, you're learning at a rate of knots um, but you do it to you know get to somewhere better. You know, that's always, I suppose, the perception to a better place. Um, but it does seem you're like, well, there's, there is no, like most cooks here, you know nothing about business whatsoever. You don't know about rent and landlords and payroll and tax. It's such a scary thing. You know, it really is. It's this unknown. It's not, it isn't rocket science, to be honest. But, you know, back then it was just like, holy shit, it was just so daunting. Mm. And, um, you know, I'd wish I'd sort of knew what I knew now a bit earlier. But, but also, and I think importantly, I'd, I'd, I'd probably just say to myself that, mate, just actually just try and enjoy where you are. That's probably if I had any regret, I was, um, at the time I was, Tetsuya's pretty much right-hand man for a number of years, and I'd travel the world. You were head chef, mate. Yeah, I was his head chef, but you, you get to travel a lot. You get to do, get to do really interesting um, gigs, so I'd do all sorts of stuff overseas, like I was at Charlie Trotter's 20th anniversary with Hervé Thies, Fran Adria, Heston, like the who's who of cooking. But 
you, I was always so stressed. I was always thinking about, have we got enough of this? Mm. Have I packed the crab? What if this goes wrong? <laughs> do, do, do. do you know what I mean? And you're almost like not living in the moment. And I, I kind of, when, you, when I reminisce about where I was in these particular, like on stage at Tokyo Taste in front of Nobu and like all these, you know, mm. Grant Akats. But you're thinking really, shit, what if this goes, you know, it's just all that sort of stuff. And, and I kind of wished, and I always check myself now without being too airy-fairy, just to be grateful for what we have right now, today. Like, totally. yeah, you've all got your bills and your, the kid's going to go to school and all that sort of stuff, but we're, we're okay. Mm. Like, generally, you know, we, we, we're cool. Um, so I, did, that, I think that's important. I wish I'd said that to myself when I was, you know, sort of 30, just to go, mate, just enjoy this shit. Like, you're mm. young, you can do anything you like. You're working pretty hard. Look where you're working. Like, it's, yeah. Yeah. We were in a great spot. Um, Daz, and just back to your point about, you know, <coughs> cooks, chefs, not necessarily, you know, uh, I mean, their skill is there and their, and their trade is, is cooking, you know, and, and not having necessarily management skills or, um, you know, financial skills or, you know, in the, in the words of Tony Robbins, I'm probably going to get it wrong, but you know, there's three types of people you need in a business. You need the sort of the managerial Operational, you need the creative and you need the financial. You know, you need the bloke who's going to get the bills paid, the guy just operational, and then the creative. And you know, chefs are that. So is 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 the? I mean, the the three blue ducks is actually what five of you? Five. Well, there's six of us there's now. Six. Yeah. So yeah. three of us are cooks. It's the front of house, which um, Sam Reed. Yeah. Chris is the you know oversees the coffee program. Yep. He's the barista. Yeah. And then. Um, Myself, yeah, Mark and Andy, the cooks, and then Jeff, Jeff, Jeff Bennett's it's kind of mother hen. Like the guy's a walking calculator. He's brilliant with figures. <laughs> so you've got, you, you, I, mean, I, I mean, I guess Jeff probably fills almost two of those. And you've got some great staff, Gus. He's, you know. But it's, but we're very lucky. Like Gus has been with us from, from right from the start mm. um, in Bronte. And then there's people like, the, you know, the Sam Mordos up here. Mm. That he, he's been yep. up here from the start. So we are, and then there's, you know, Steph, the events, Katie in Sydney. They, there's all these kind of, they're, they're and they treat the place like it's theirs as well. And they actually, they kick our asses. Like, they hold us accountable. Mm. And they, they they sort of, they push us to raise our games. Like, holy shit, like, we've got to get our shit together here. Like, um, So, yeah, we're, we're, like, incredibly lucky with what we have, with the sort of people that are, that, that believe in what we're, where we're trying to go, which is which is cool, um, but I mean, we, in terms of the owners and the roles we play, we're probably we're almost at uninvestable. <laughs> you know, coming you got well, there's five, there's six of you. You're all blokes. Three of you are chefs. Christ <laughs> Almighty, you surfers. Forget about it. You know what I mean? But it's it kind of um it, it has fallen into a place where we there are p- different people with with roles, and I can't do whatever Jeff does or Paul yeah. does or whatever Sam does can't do it but it's good to have an awareness of what he has to do totally. and, what, and I think that that is important there are there are three different roles you're all um, interdependent I guess in a way. yeah but I, I like I've always been interested more in the, the creative side and the creation of something than who's going to pay for it <laughs> as Jeff Just will someone, probably, Jeff will probably tell you yeah 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 <laughs> Darren yeah. tell me um, about about staff I guess I mean how do you attract um, how do you attract good people? And, and, and I, you know, I'm sure there's some principles, not that I'm quizzing you on the principles, but mm. I mean, you know, I don't think they're probably dissimilar, you know, to any other industry. But what, what, what do you think there's anything that's been the key for you guys that you've managed to attract such good people? Um, Apart from, you know, staff. I think, to be honest, I, 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 I think, it, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, 
our philosophy has always been there. There has definitely been a fun aspect into everything we do. And we still try and maintain that, although it does become a lot more difficult the, the larger you grow. Um, because you have to be, because you are responsible, that has to come with this, with probably more amount of professionalism and accountability. Um, I, th I think it really helps that often we're in, we're still all in our venues. I think that's really, I think there's a lot to be said about owner operators. But so. you're, you're, you're present. You're the, yeah, you're I think the, it's just uh, important. I mean, I'm not, I took myself off the line when Charlie was born. So I'm almost never on the line, but I'm, I'm here every day. I'm here like five days a week. Just, and it's like, yeah, like you, just dealing with stuff and yeah. come up with new ideas and, you know, chatting to the staff or, or customers or whatever it is. Like I just, I, I still love what we do, but I think that's, I think that's great to just be sort of on the, that sort of on the ground where staff can see, holy shit, like, and so I just think it, and it instills that confidence in existing staff that you, you actually do give a shit yeah. About, yeah. about, about what you're all trying to do. And it's it, rarely is it perfect, but we, we're always trying to improve our offering and um, yeah, we just try and lift the game. We're never gonna. We, we don't care about accolades or hats or any of that sort of stuff. Mm. But certainly the product, what we put on the plate, and and the conditions that we all. One of the beauties of was starting your own business is that you can do it. Pretty much, you can do whatever you like. So anything that annoyed us back back in the day, where you'd you'd sort of I don't know eat leftovers next to the bins on a milk crate. <laughs> So well, let's, let's eat some proper food, like on a chair and table, mm. you know. Uh, just which sounds really stupid. Which sounds you like, mean like a, it's almost like a standard or such a, a minuscule like, thing. Yeah, yeah. just like well, no, no, no. Like and it's just um, yeah, the, like the customer isn't always always right. It doesn't mean to say, and you don't have to be rude, but you can definitely you know just communicate things in such a way where yeah, it doesn't have to be conflict and you don't have to bow down to people. Yeah, we're mm. in the um, the service industry. But it's it's an even playing field. Like if I'm if you're serving me or if I'm serving you, it doesn't make you or I any better than each other. And I think that's a really Morris Dazzini does it so well. He just this you know he commands respect, and I think it's lovely. And I think it's I think it's really cool. There's no need for arrogance from from any side. Um, what, but, what what does Morris do that? Um, oh, sorry, Morris Dazzini. Yeah, uh, we st I mean, I'm the, not into, oh no, yeah, but, well, explain who he's he is. And then, so and Morris Dazzini is the coolest guy in in in, in Hospo. <laughs> he's um, he owns and he knows it. He knows, yeah, yeah. And actually, to be honest, and, and he's probably got this. Um, if you didn't know him and he hadn't served you or you hadn't communicated with him, you'd probably think he's this super cool. He's maybe a bit arrogant, but he's actually lovely. Mm. He's, he's actually a beautiful person. Um, and it's, it's this old school hospitality. So he, he um, co-owns, um, maybe even owns Icebergs. Iceberg, yeah. He's been involved with the Dolphin, um, Durazio, or lo lots of places. It started in Melbourne and now, and now Sydney. And someone like I respect a lot of people, but Morris is, yeah, he's he's a um, phenomenal. But he, you know, he oversees his places. But he's also roll the sleeves up. He'll be the guy. He'll be he leads from the front. Um, so he could just be, you know, collecting glasses. Pouring a wine, whatever it is, you know, and I, and I, I really respect that. He's not above anyone in the, no, in the chain. No, I think that, that, and I think it's going like you said, like, and that's that has huge value, obviously, from a customer's point of view. You see mm -hmm. that, you're like, oh yeah, Christ. But from staff, and I think that, you, and then you just you, you you build this community of really good, passionate people, and that and that just snowballs, and then you get to, like it's a small world. You kind of get to know who's doing what. Okay, so th there's it's got a pastry shift down the world. She's got loads of talent, maybe, and you kind of. I think that's part of the game. It, mm -hmm. it really is. It's it's like it's it's spotting talent and, and kind of and, and nurturing. Um, yeah, I, I think that's. I think it's it is it is an important skill. Um, but yeah, we are lucky. We've got 
so many people either stay with us or and, and often leave, which I hundred percent encourage. Like, mm. If you never, if you need a hand doing anything, if you want to set up your own place, go for it. And like mm. I'll sh- share everything. Like I don't, I never want to discourage anyone from doing what they like. It's because it shouldn't have to. It's not a competition. There's enough out there for everyone. You know. Um, so. And what's yeah. what's your um? You, you you may not have written them down. You probably never have. And I, you, you might after this. What have you got any? I mean, I was fascinated with, um, you know, I guess human relations in the <coughs> workplace. And is there anything? Are there any sort of things you look for in employees in staff? You know, like you just mentioned you can see talent or potential. You know, is there anything like I've got this list of eighteen secrets to be a good employee. That, yeah, I, that right. I give my yeah. stepchildren and employees and everything because it's just things I've picked up. And is there anything that you look out for, you notice, and you go, man, that that person is, you know, they've got something different, something special? Is there something that you do in the kitchen or on the floor or, I don't know, and they're just in nature? Well, I think that's a really, I mean, it's a great, I wish I did have 18 things to, like, written down. But I'll send but, you mine. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I, to be honest, I think what, look, with us, it's slightly different in the kitchen and the front of house. Like they mm. come, someone comes in, they do an interview, then they do a trial. Uh, and you can kind of, I think through that, through communicating, just looking at someone, talking to someone, seeing how they sort of navigate their space. Kitchens and funny things, there, there, there is nowhere to hide. You can't, you could probably fake uh, many jobs for a certain amount of time before, I'm sure there's many people working in offices and like, yeah, yeah, of course I've done that. Yeah, this, yeah, you know, all that pro Spreadsheets. Do you know what I mean? And I think that yeah. a lot of people, you can sort of get lost in lasers. Yeah. I've had mates that have just blagged their way through these like office jobs and eventually they kind of pick up how to use Word or whatever, whatever it is. <laughs> Kitchens aren't like that. Like it's immediate. You know, you yeah, can either, cool. and you can tell with some of these, someone just has to put down the chopping board and they pull out their knife roll and I know straight away, like li- literally within a minute, you go, yeah, yeah. they're good. They're he, he, she's yeah. got great experience. and th- but. That, that, that's cool if they haven't. Um, but it's, and then, then just the communication, like what are they asking? What are they interested in? Like, what, so you've, you, do you like cookbooks? Do you like to eat out? And just little things, how do you cook a steak? There's, that, there's kind of, there's things I like, I always ask that, and, that interest me and you, you kind of know if someone's, um, and it's cool if they're not super passionate from the start, that's fine. But as long as they're honest, you know, and, and, and you go, okay, cool. This, I, I can work with this. Um, a sense of humor always, always helps. We've always been, and it's one thing I learned from Tets. It was like, you know, you can teach anyone how to cook, but you, know, you can't teach honesty and loyalty and all the, all the rest of it. Character. Yeah, character. And, I, and I've never really, I think I was so scarred from my first experience in the kitchen. I never want to work with sort of prima donnas and like, mm. you know, um, staff sort of massive egos. Like it, it, it's, life's too short. And it's just, and we're here, you know, five days a week. Like you want to, you don't have to love everyone and be everyone's best mate, but you don't want any. Um, I don't. I just don't need any chess beaters because <laughs> I'm not one either. And I just you know mm. people that demand to be called chef. Yes, we chef. We chef. It's like mm. no, 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 just call me Dazzle Darren. That's Mordo. <laughs> There's Jeff. That's Chris. Yeah. We were cool. Like just. <laughs> um, I yeah. c- I cannot. I'm always. I try and you know in a restaurant. I try and get a table near the kitchen because I just love looking through. I love. You know, restaurants are how you can see the kitchen anyway. And my mind absolutely boggles at how that – my my wife laughs at me because she has – she's a cook, not tr- trained in any way, but her father was this um, – uh, father is. Um, he's not cooking at the moment anymore, but he had an ability to look at you and then go to his garden and pick the herb and the, pick the this and that and brew something up, whether it was a broth or a wow. salad, and go, you need this. Like he yeah. had this magic – alchemy crazy stuff and Ange picked up a lot of that and she can just 
you know, that wonderful thing where there's a there's a fridge full of food and you go, well, you know, someone like me goes, there's nothing in there or what do, what do I do with this? Yeah. And just, you know, 10 minutes, it is just, yeah. it's just late on. So I'm, I'm at I'm utmost respect for for the kitchen, you know, because yeah. it's just the, that organising. Like how can, you know, the, the old mate turns up with a little bit of paper with the orders and he yells it out and yeah. you're all there and you're just going, I don't know, like – he just yells out eight orders, and then two minutes later, there's another six. And like, yeah. I have no idea how that works. Yeah, is that is it? Does it take a special? Is it training for that? You just got to have a yeah. Mind. It just comes with practice, and it's a bit of a like conducting a service, which I'd be probably terrible at now. I'd believe just go to pieces. But it's it's a it's a just a, it's kind of a game of Tetris in your head and in the dockets, and mm. it's it just yeah, like it's just you're just calling things. Um, it's a bit. It's just like being a conductor, I suppose. With an orchestra in front of you, in you know, and, so, and certainly in top level kitchens, we've got twenty plus chefs. It sort of things have to come out at a certain time, but uh, yeah, it like it comes with practice. But some people are really good at that, but they're not great cooks. Or you know, they're good at the organising. There's, there's lots of different roles. Yeah, there's yeah. people, they, they, and they, you know, there's there's levels to everything, and there's there's so many nuances with different roles and staff. Whereas it's it's really it's great to have someone that can conduct a service, but someone might be really creative. Someone else might be great on, you know, food costs and stuff. So even within kitchens, mm. there are definitely really, really important roles. Um, yeah. have, have those bases covered. Daz, it's, uh, we just clocked over the hour and the sun, sun's going the down. sun's going it? down, I know. And the Corellas have gone. Yeah. Thank goodness. Um, actually, there's a biodynamic practice that I've been, I've been hoping one of the guys here would find me a Corella that may have just sort of decided to. Is that where you burn something? Yeah. I've been watching that. I've watched that on your Peppering. little uh, video. Is that- the cane toad. Yeah. Yeah. So if you do it with a bird that well, you, that one that I you, that you know, <laughs> not you know <laughs> put that pistol down, Des. Yeah. So that, that, it, is we, that right? we've done it at did home. Did you do it on full, full moon? Full moon. Yeah. So so the practice is you get a um, you get a, an, an animal or a plant um, that you don't want to be in an area anymore. And, and I did one the other day with cane toads. At home, my first one I did was rabbits. Right, so they're 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 vermin, they're a pest, and so I dispatched a one and then burned it on a form. This is going back ten years, and and I'd heard about this and I'd been shown how to do it and so on. Anyway, I said I'll give this a crack. Shot this rabbit, put it in a drum, burned it on a full moon, and then spread the ashes in the area. And this is under a shed that was a hay shed and had rabbit burrows under it, and we just yeah. didn't want them there. And so you, while you're burning the rabbit, and also when you're spreading the ash around. The, the area you don't want it to be, you have an intention that you don't want that rabbit to be anymore. You don't want rabbits in that area. You're not there to right. hurt or harm. Yeah. You're there to move them on to another place so we can live in harmony and sanctuary yeah. and so on, and you're moving them to another place. So I did this not having done it before, and yeah. I, you know, I went, oh God, you know, I don't know, give it a crack. This is it weird? Is it weird? Yeah, like, whoa, you yeah. know, I hope <clears throat> lucky it's at night so no one can see you. <laughs> sort of, cool you know, <laughs> dancing around a drum, burning a rabbit. Just, just um, to interrupt, so you don't, do you have to kill the rabbit or do you, can you just find a dead rabbit? You can get ro- roadkill. So if you're doing yeah, right, other okay. species. Because I'm thinking bush turkey straight away. Yeah, no, so. I know you can't kill bush turkeys, <laughs> but I'm sure they're dead. If, if you were to around. find if you were to find a dead one, then absolutely. Yeah. Um, and this is a beautiful thing: is that you are not. Yes, one has to be, I guess, not sacrificed, but you have to find a dead one to, for this practice to work. But yeah. you are. It's not like you're baiting them. You're going to yeah, kill yeah. them. You're not. Yeah. You know, there's not that sort of poison or, or just that sort of. Yeah. It's a. It's a. You know, you're forming a relationship with that species essentially. Yeah. So, so the rabbits I burnt, 
and and then and the and the, the builders who were doing some renos on a house at the time go, were giving me a hard time going, you know, they're driving past at six in the morning, rabbits everywhere, what are you gonna do about these bloody yeah. rabbits? I'll I'll ring the PP board and dob you in. Anyway, so I did this did this peppering and I, I sort of forgot about it because I had no reference point how long it took or yep. whatever. And anyway, the builder, he, about three weeks later he 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 said, What'd you do? What'd you do to those rabbits? I went, Oh, um, what do you mean? He goes, Well they're not there anymore. Wow! Like, and this was totally secondhand. Like, this is not. I didn't yeah, tell him a yeah. thing. And he and he goes, "What'd you do? Did you bait them, or did they get mixed up, or did you shoot them?" I went, "Oh, well, I kind of did this thing, and I told him." And he's quite open-minded. And um, and I went, and he went, "I don't know what you did. Sounds crazy, but it worked." And sure. that was the wonderful thing was that I had been it'd been very objective. It's a very subjective practice because you are putting your intention to what yep. you're doing, and and you you, you really are re- relating to your to this practice. And but he had no idea, and he said, "Well, they're gone." And I, and I took notice, and they had absolutely gone. And right. it, they lasted probably a bit over a year. And I did it an, uh, probably two years later, and they came. Well, so they you, came have to, you have to do a top up. <clears throat> you do a top up, and then yeah. every year that you do it, so so brown snakes. So I find brown snakes on the road, Daz. I don't. I don't. Don't yeah, don't kill those. No, 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 no. You wouldn't do that. <coughs> but sometimes you find them in the road. It might be any time of the year. We put them in the freezer. And so at the beginning of, just for the nice thing, <laughs> there's one sitting in our office freezer at um, Hanuman at the moment. So you, same thing, you um, you burn them on the full moon. And we've done it, uh, I reckon this summer will be the 10th. So last summer was the ninth time in a row. And we've probably done it, it ninth summer, we've probably done it six times, so every yep. two out of three years. And we saw, I saw my first brown snake last summer in a year that we didn't do it. Right. Actually, it was two summers ago. Um, around the house because you don't, I mean, yeah, yeah. blacks are fine, browns yeah. you just don't want. Yeah. And again, that for me has been amazing. Now, I've tried parrots, um, that hasn't worked so well because they're up in the trees. Yeah. I've tried, um, we're going to do it with kangaroos. There's actually a fox skin and a rat and a kangaroo skin in the freezer at home. We're going to do it nice. next full moon. So, they're corellas. We need, um, we love well, our corellas. That's, that's really cool. We like them yeah. to go away somewhere. What if it works with mosquitoes? <laughs> Well, you know, it's a good question. You know, imagine that because it's such a th- you know, Max's parents come up and they always get. I'm like, they kind of, I'm kind of used to it now. <clears throat> yeah, but it's such a deterrent. Even this time of year, oh, there was some just to home. see outside this time of night, and it's just they're mm. on them. It's like, oh Christ! Well, with insects like cockroaches, I guess mosquitoes are not much of them, though, is there? You you, you get a, a, a few, paste. You? you know, you make a paste. Yeah, you, yeah. you water them down in a paste. You squash them up. Um, rats, mice, yeah, hundred percent. When I say hundred percent, it's it you know give it a crack, but you have got to have the right intention, and it helps to have the animals from your area. Like yep. if you got a rat from your neighbours, it'd probably still work. But if yeah. you if it's if it's localised, so right. um, Daz, one last question: As the sun goes down and we ponder the um, the pros and cons. Oh, yeah, mine's a pine. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> one more question: So you've got um, the opportunity to put a there's a big billboard on the Pacific Highway out there. And oh, yeah. You've got the opportunity to to put a big a quote a, a question a statement on there that everyone can see on the way past. Is there anything that sort of you got a favourite little go to that you'd like to? Nothing really too profound. It would be something like it would be uh, either don't be a dick <laughs> because I think if we're just you know most people in life I don't think anyone intentionally gets up and think they're going to they're going to be a bad person. I mm. really don't. Um, I remember. Yeah, and I've had a lot of conversations with people that have travelled and they're like, oh, every, all everyone wants, they just want, they want to be fed, a bit of shelter, they want their kids to do well. Mm. And and really that's it. Like no one's trying to take over the world here. I'm sure there are, but like, 
generally, no matter who you, who you are, where you're from, you kind of want the same shit, really. Mm. So it's like, just don't be a dick to each other. Just try and be bloody, just try and be nice to each other. I think that's, that, if we could all do that, we'd be cool. Be I think I think the other one is just just give it a crack. <laughs> give it a crack. Just give it a crack. Yeah, nice. Uh, it's a little bit Nike, but I just think it's like, what's the worst that can happen? I think we're so is that kind of saying that sort of uh, paralysis by analysis. Yeah, I've got so many mates with like amazing sort of you know entrepreneurial ideas and businesses that they've just been putting off. I've seen it for decades now. Mm. You, just, you kind of want to shame, just like mate, just do it like what the is only, the worst they're gonna yeah no i was gonna say the only regret you know <clears throat> the regrets the regrets of the dying is they regret it's always the things that they well often things they didn't do yeah and the number one regret of the dying is they 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 didn't do things they didn't say things they wanted to do and wanted to say because they worried about what other people would think is that right and they yeah. didn't do it you know so it's always about what they did it's so do. true isn't it yeah, totally. Yeah, so there you go. That's the, they're not exactly Dalai Lama quotes, but, <laughs> but it's interesting. You, you just just to finish on, you went. You said about that chef in in when you first um, in the UK, where you're inspired with um, uh, w- with cooking. Then it made me think of um, a quote or a saying I picked up somewhere that says, "People are mean when they're scared." You know, people yeah. can be really nasty, and which is you know, yes, it's a human trait, but it's as you say, most people just want to. Be kind, and it's always a sign of um, they're scared of something. I think it was I think it was hundred percent in that circumstance. I think you're absolutely right. I think you would. The, the chefs I've, I've been really fortunate to work with amazing chefs that are so confident with their ability, mm. and it's just beautiful. It's be- beautiful to see them run a, a business or a kitchen, and um, really sort of contagious energy. But I've also worked in places where, yeah, they're just they're, they're scared and they're just like yelling and and just trying to compensate for that lack of ability or confidence or whatever it is mm. and just sort of takes you to a bit of a bit of a shitty place so yeah i think i think there's a lot of truth but again they they don't they're not bad people they're not no. like i'm sure the guy that was i trained out of wasn't in wasn't trying to make my life a misery but he's probably just out of, out of his debt for whatever mm. so steve i forgive you <laughs> steve for listening and just on that i mean something i've picked up along the way in relation to that is you know, showing someone, I might have said in another podcast, so I'm, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself, but, you know, having compassion for that person, you know, and you're saying, my God, what a, wow, imagine being that pissed off, that mean, that upset or that anxious that you, you know, say whatever one says or whatever, you know, to be, like to reflect on that and go, wow, that's, imagine being them and then compassion, you know, to. I think that's a really, yeah, that's a really important uh, approach because Mm. for years, and you're the only one that suffers, you're kind of Mm. mentally, if only I saw you now, I'd be look at, I'd be bloody, I'd say this and I'd do that. And it's just, yeah, you you torture yourself. Mm. But I I, I agree just to give it that intention to go, yep, no problem. Mm. All all good. Let's just move on. And And I think it is important to step back from any circumstance and just give it a different perspective and go, I can see the whole thing for what it is. And, uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've definitely for, you know, the last, that's one thing I have the last five, 10 years just to, just to look at things and, um, and just not wish bad intentions like you do mm. when you're young. Mm. Just go, I really want to kill you. But it's like, no, 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 it's like, it's cool. They're doing this because that stuff like, that sticks, you know, it sticks. But again, <laughs> the person probably, they have no idea that you want to kind of want to hate them and kill them. <laughs> It, you know, and, and you're just it's it and it's it's toxic. Mm. It's toxic energy or you're harboring, mm. and you you're like no, just just let it go, man. And you yeah. forgive people not for them for their for their sake, but for your sake. 
Yeah, 100%. You're, you're, you're actually, selfishly, you're, and ironically, you're the one that benefits from forgiving. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that? They didn't move to another country or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. But anyway. Yeah, man. There you go. Deep. <laughs> Daz, that was so cool. Thanks, mate. We, um, we've run over, but. Um, Thanks. And congrats on this. Brilliant. Honestly, mate, I, I love this. I think it's so good what you're doing. Like, I, yeah, I'll say I've been listening to this all weekend, last last few days. I just, yeah, I think it's it's awesome. You're doing I, research. Like, please keep it up. I just think it's brilliant. I like, I'm it. a big fan of, like, yeah, Damo and obviously Joel Salad and stuff. And just it, to even be a part of anything like this is, is bloody honour. Well, uh, Daz, thank you. You've been on my radar for years now, just stalking you around out the back of the office there at the, <laughs> here at the farm. But I'm going to um, I'm going to catch up with Matt Moran in a couple of weeks, hopefully, cool. and there's a few other guys and girls in Sydney I'm going to pounce on. And the wonderful thing, well, it is a good thing that in this second series I'm going to stretch out the, the – um, uh, the breadth of interviewees. So we're going to talk to doctors or, or, you know, in those in the medical world, farmers, chefs, you know, even some finance type stuff. So we're really going to, because, you know, the, the, the thing that I keep, I keep stumbling upon is how so many things are intrinsically linked back to food, yep. farming, soil, health, environment, you know, Absolutely. well-being. So um, that's really cool. Right, mate? Oh, give, of- give Matty a big hug for me. Yeah, I will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did you say? Did you see him on the social media the other day? He was he, he was part of a little funny, um, a funny uh, social media campaign. Not quite campaign, but a video, and it was in response to COVID, which he didn't talk much about. But will next time. Um, the and, the, and and there was this all these guys and he was included going whatever you do in COVID. Don't start a podcast. Just don't do it. <laughs> and it went. Oh, have you seen really? It? Oh, yeah. No, but that's Google brilliant. It. it was like three or four minutes, and it was that's it was so some good. celebrity, you know, the chefs. It was you know, newsreaders. There was like, you know them all, and it was like, oh, that's funny. Just that's... save us all the grief. Yeah, yeah. Don't yeah. think you know it all. Don't start a podcast. And but he's agreed to, so he must have. There you go. Good one, Daz. Thanks, mate. All right, mate. Cheers, brother. There you go. Um, really enjoyed that chat with with Darren there at the farm at Byron Bay. Um, such a lovely fellow. Very relaxed. Um, was it towards getting towards the end of the day, and we were both um, very happy to sit there and chit chat about all that sort of stuff. Um, it was wonderful. And Darren's got a massive future in front of him too, um, without any doubt. Uh, next week, I'm looking forward to um, announcing, I'm announcing now, um, that I'll be speaking with Murray Pryor. Um, he is, what do I say about Murray? He's, he started from, from a, in a world of corporate, um, in the corporate world, I should say, and bought himself a farm. And whilst he wasn't thinking about regenerative approaches when he bought it, he certainly became very aware that that was the way he wanted to change um, and implement um, in his farming practice there and for his family and we talked about all sorts of wonderful things about transitioning um, to regenerative agriculture. I won't spoil it now, you'll just have to listen next week um, but really excited um, that I'll be uh, launching uh, next week's episode with Murray Pryor. This podcast is produced by Reese Jones at Jaeger Media. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to subscribe, share, rate and review. For more episode information, please head over to www.charliearnett.com.au.